Yo, 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 what is up? What is good? It is Monday. It is Crossing Broadcast, and the Eagles have fallen 27-20. to 20. They are now 1-1 one and one on the season. Adam Lefko here, Kyle Scott, Russell Joy joining me. A uh, lot of things to talk about. Everything from overall Eagles performance, Doug Peterson and his play calling, LeGarrette Blunt being on the field for six plays, the defense and all the injuries, and Kyle taking shots at Carson Wentz. We're going to get to all of that uh, today. First off, Russ, I know that uh, you tweeted it out yesterday. The moment in which the Eagles lost was a bad moment for Philadelphia overall. It was bad for the Phillies. It was bad for everybody. What happened in that moment? It was within, like, I think it was five minutes of real time. The Phillies had given up a grand slam. The Flyers had lost in overtime. And the Eagles had given up what eventually became the game-winning touchdown. Uh, the, the only positive result yesterday was maybe the Sixers because they didn't have anything going on. Or maybe you could make a case that the Union getting a 0-0 draw, nil-nil on the road at Red Bulls, is the only good thing to happen in Philly yesterday. Um, I know that we're not going to talk about it, but like the, the Flyers preseason game is a little bit disappointing because some of their best prospects had key turnovers. Uh, Travis Sanheim had one that led to a goal. Phil Myers had the one yeah, that led to Yeah, you were absolutely to, right. To it in, yep. Nobody, in overtime. Yep. 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 Hey, look at that. Stuff that no one cares about. It's a missing segment. Now we're back. Well, how about this, Russ? Let's get your big – what was it like for you to watch the Eagles yesterday? Let's start off with that. All right, so yesterday I'm, I'm at my cousin's kid's first birthday party to give you an idea. Sounds and, like a rager. Yeah, so uh, it's Minnie Mouse theme, by the way. That was that was something. And uh, cute kid. That's good. But um, Who brought I was wondering, the tequila? I was, uh, no comment. So I don't actually think there was tequila. Um, that would have made it a little bit – anyway, um, so – I get there Sounds and, like that and I noticed that not a party. I noticed that half of my family's missing. I'm like, all right, did like a lot of them come from the north, so I wasn't too surprised. And then I hear rumblings from my cousins about like the game is on in the basement. So I go from like making small talk to going down in the second half. I'd been following it on Twitter like a like a heathen, and um, man, it was just it was uh, it was it was frustrating. Um, if you had this to clarify like, to people, I know you rewatched the game last night I before did. you get yeah, yeah, flamed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the, I think the biggest takeaway I have is this, and I, I've been going to this well and I'm going to continue Eagles fans. I think as a whole are my least favorite of the Philadelphia sports fans. And it's, and it's for this reason. If before yesterday's game, you had told people the Eagles are going to be pretty competitive throughout and they're going to lose 27 to 20, pretty much anybody and their mother would say, that sounds like a really good result, knowing that Kansas City was coming off a road win against New England in the first game of the season. That would be a fantastic result. Fast forward to the game and the post-game aftermath of watching Doug call a terrible game, and it becomes this thing where like fans were almost expecting the Eagles to have actually, you know, won the game. And I get that there's there's the, you know, you have to adapt based on how the game plays out. You know, it looked like the, the game was within reach. But you never expected to compete in that game, and you came within a touchdown of of tying it up. A missed field goal away from even, you know, winning it with a touchdown. So, like, that, I think, is my biggest takeaway. I, I think the game itself, there were some positives in it. But, again, the injury bug that did not bite them during the preseason continues to rear its ugly head and put this team in positions that show off once again that they do not have depth at, at critical positions on the field 
including offensive line, where we watched Isaac Samalu just get destroyed, wrecked, crushed, Miley Cyrus wrecking balled through the middle of that line, practically the entire second half. So that's that's my biggest takeaway. But I didn't expect them to win. So it, it kind of is what it is. All right, how about you, Kyle? Uh, so, I, I well, I was tempted to just say pass and kick it over to you because that seems to be the, the word of the day if you're a big Sesame Street guy. Um, hey. <laughs> I, I think this game played out how uh, most of us expected. Uh, I would point out, Adam, that you, you were off by one point in your prediction. You had 27-21. Um, I had 24-18. to So we were both in that like one touchdown range. So I don't think this is a surprising outcome. I think what was surprising was the fact that the Eagles – weren't really playing from behind most of the game. You could argue that they um, controlled the game for a little while there, and the game was there for their taking. Their defense, I think, um, was was the the standout unit in the game for the vast majority of it until the um, late touchdown. So it's disappointing. I don't think it's unexpected. I think what makes it harder to swallow is that it was there for the taking and some some truly dreadful play calling slash game planning hurt them. Uh, some some truly dreadful offensive line breakdowns, especially late. I think it was the second to last drive in the fourth quarter was dreadful. And I got this badly on Twitter last night. Uh, I am not blaming Carson Wentz for the loss. I do not think he is his career is over. But I do think the, Carson Wentz makes a lot of unforced errors. Um, he threw into the line three times. He missed three screen passes like at close range. And then, obviously, there's the throwing into the line turnover uh, that, that essentially ended the game for them. So a lot went wrong, and it's tough to swallow because they had a chance to win and, and arguably should have won. And... Um, you know, fumbled that football away, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, the the storyline that I... So I watched this game at work, and I had this on the main TV with the audio. Um, and it, I was so surprised at, at how well, how close the game was at the first half. Like I said on our podcast on Friday that for the Eagles to stay in this game, it was going to all come down to the D-line. And they were phenomenal. I mean, Fletcher was everything you needed him to be. Timmy Jernigan was great. But when I left the game and I checked Twitter, everybody was talking about the run-pass ratio. So I went back. The The ratio at the end of the game, which everybody knows, what was it? It was uh, 13 runs to how many passes? Uh, it was at least 45. Now I've got the stats right here. It, it was, was 46, right? It was 46 right. passes is what it worked out to. 46 so what it was, rush. So I went back at halftime. At halftime, it was 15 passes to eight rushes. So it was like pretty good at that point. Um, and there was like no sustain. It was like no real Carson Wentz runs. That's not including a Carson Wentz run. So Carson Wentz in the first half was 9 of 15 for 134. Remember, 53 of that was that crazy Ertz pass. So if you take that one away, because it was a, it was, I don't think that, that was like an outlier. He was 8 of 14 for one, what is that? 181, um, which is nothing. Second half, he goes 16 of 31 for 199, two touchdowns, and he also runs for 50 yards on three carries. Um, 
Sproles in the first off there because that's just added up to. I think more than three thirty. Whatever, we're not a math. I get your no, no, but I get your it, point. I get your point. No, it, it, well, no, because I took away that first one because uh, the second half he was sixteen to thirty-one. First half he was nine to fifteen. Uh, first half Sproles goes seven for thirty-seven on the on the on in carrying the football, which is a good half of football for him. It's more than five yards a carry. Second half Sproles goes three for eleven. Um, I went back because Rust asked, and I watched Samelo. And I didn't think that he was as bad as everyone said. Now, I know he allowed two sacks in the first half. Um, I also want to say that Chris Jones, the defensive tackle that was everywhere, he had the three sacks and the one interception, is an incredible player. Like, that's that's the thing I want to say, too, is like when you when I just watched him, Samelo got in his way a bunch, but that second to last drive that Kyle brought up, he was left on an island and Chris Jones just burned right by him. Chris Jones is a top 10 defensive lineman in the NFL in terms of like interior defensive lineman. He really is a freak. So that's why um, I, I, I kind of wanted to say, you know, it's not always a mistake. Sometimes it's just guys being better than you. Um, and at this point of his career, uh, Samelo is not in a position to be left on an island with Chris Jones. He's just not that good. Uh, I will say, too, that, that both major run plays, the Kareem Hunt 53-yard play and the Kelsey shovel pass, Bo Allen was in and Tim Jernigan wasn't. Now, on the Kareem Hunt play, all of the backup defensive linemen were in. So that was the Chris Long, Derek Barnett, Bo, like no Fletcher Cox, whatever. And I mean, Kansas City got seals everywhere. And that really, like, like it was like the Eagles defense was kicking their ass. All the subs went in, Kareem Hunt, 53-yard run. And then, of course, because Rodney McLeod's hurt, uh, you have Graham on an island, he misses the tackle. Um, I, for me, they also though, got... I, a lot of push on I because I watched went back and like looked closely at that one. A lot of push on the outside, and that was a clear example of the Eagles over pursuing. That I mean, they came hard on the outside, got fanned out to the side, and that middle lane just opened wide. And you know what? Up. And to your point there, not the Kareem Hunt touchdown where he stretched it over, which was two yards, but he had like an eleven yard run on like third and three. Eagles brought a blitz in the middle and the Kansas City wide receivers and Kelsey pinned everyone to the inside. Chris Conley blocked uh, Malcolm Jenkins into uh, Michael Kendricks, taking him out of the play, and he was the one that would have had to make the tackle. So Kendricks got caught up, and there was just so many guys on the ground for the Eagles, which you just can't have. I know Bill Belichick used to tell Sims when he was scouting that, you know, I look for guys that don't fall on the ground. Because they end up being more of an issue. And that was a lot of the defense yesterday. But um, I I do agree with Kyle on the... I, there are definitely aspects of Carson Wentz's game that need improvement. But I just thought in the second half, he was incredible. Uh, I thought keeping plays alive, like just being under pressure, the, the run plays he had. Uh, he definitely had some screens and some deep passes that I that I looked at and went that, that the accuracy there is just bad, but we, we we used to talk about this all the time last year with Aaron Rodgers because his wide receivers weren't getting open, and I think the the thing that I'm scared about with Carson Wentz is 
he's now expecting the rush on every play. So now he's sort of getting ready to have to run. And I'm watching him not always set his feet. Like on the screen, uh, there was one screen where he kind of threw it off his back foot. The screen where he threw an interception, like Darren Sproles was on the ground. And I was also like, I don't know why Carson Wentz threw it at that angle anyway, unless he was just trying to like spike it. But I worry that he's now expecting the rush because he was hurried almost every play. That is that going to hurt his mechanics? But overall, I, I thought he was phenomenal. I is really any, did. Is anybody else worried, at least in the slightest, that our six foot five quarterback is getting balls batted down at the line like Vic used to? Yes. Yes. Uh, it, 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 that is maybe one of the more concerning things to me. Like mechanics aside, like there's something that, that just kind of gives me a little bit of pause in, in watching those balls getting batted down at the line. So here's um, I'm going to do so, something just I want to the only thing I want to do is I want to check statistically if Carson Wentz is getting his balls batted down at a rate more like higher than other quarterbacks in the NFL because I also noticed Kansas City would halt their rush on three step drops and just jump which is like kind of how they're trained to do um, but I, I agree that it's 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 interesting. I just want to see if it happens more than anyone else or if it's just happening and then we're going, man, it seems like it's happening a lot. So I'll look into that. So, um, okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. Why don't we quickly start with the Wentz thing because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I tweeted a few things last night and people thought I was blaming him and super sour on him. I was not. I was My takeaway, my initial viewing after watching the game was like, Wentz was a gamer, kept him in it, and he was. And you come and you come away with a lot of wow plays. Upon repeat viewing, there was a lot of things where if quite honestly, if this were any other quarterback, <clears throat> Sam Bradford, certainly Michael Vick, even Donovan McNabb, these are the sorts of things those guys would catch a ton of flack from this fan base for. But Wentz seems to be pretty Teflon to these sorts of things. Um, and I think upon second viewing, that is what stood out to me, and that's why I was tweeting about it. So let's just spend a couple of minutes here and not, and just couch it in the fact that we're not going to sit here and bash, bash Wentz because that's that's not the goal. But here, here's an interesting stat. So passes under 10 yards. So so 10 yards or even behind the line of scrimmage. Wentz through, just doing quick math here, it looks like uh, 7 and 13 and 14, 21 times, right? He, of 21 passes, 10 yards or less, which is a lot of passes to throw underneath of 10 yards, he completed only 12 of them. He was 12 of 21 on passes under 10 yards, and that includes three bats at the line of scrimmage and at least two screens where he completely missed Aaron Sproles in the backfield. One late in the fourth quarter, where I don't know if the ball just slipped out of his hand or what. Another, I think, also in the fourth quarter, where Sproles was sp- splitting out left, and he. Just I think that I think you're right. I think it was a slip, just because he was like checking his hand, like mm-hmm. he was just like looking at it, like it slipped out. Sure, um, but again, I mean that that's not good. The the. The flip side to this is what exactly what we talked about last week. Where does Wentz excel in that 10 to 25 yard, 10 to 20 yard sling right to the middle of the field past the sticks? Did very well there. 7 to 10 on the left, 2 of 4 in the middle, 1 of 1 on the right. Um, that seems to be his spot. And then anything over 20 yards, he, he does not throw a good deep ball. The notion that Wentz has a big arm. And everyone wants to credit him with throwing a tremendous deep ball. His deep balls are not good. 
I mean, he, he rarely is is it even a catchable pass. Um, the one to Torrey Smith that would have been a penalty anyway. Again, maybe it slipped, maybe it got caught up in the wind, but like it fell 15 yards short, and Smith was wide open. It would have come back, but the point remains that it was not a good throw. Um, there was another overthrow there, and a lot of times, even in that middle range, he throws high. That touch, it should have been a touchdown pass to Torrey Smith early in the game, but it was a little high, and, and Smith should have caught it. But again, it, it wasn't. Those are the passes like guys, even like like Cousins, make. Um, setting aside like the top tier guys, a, a lot of decent quarterbacks make those plays. And uh, Wentz now for for a year and two games has been has been off target. So I, I just don't think he's a super accurate quarterback yet. And to your point, second half, very frantic feet in the pocket. And as bad as the line was, there was a a decent number of unforced errors or errors that were exacerbated by Wentz missing someone or being needlessly frantic and missing a short screen pass or something like that. So, I mean, so that's just I, my takeaway on that. I'm not bashing him. God forbid you tweet this. I think I lost like 30 followers by tweeting five minor critiques of Wentz but I would just say that there's a few things I think the reason they're reacting like that is you have members of the Chiefs yesterday you have Kelsey walking up to Wentz and telling him that he's a motherfucking gamer and then you have D Ford who apparently the Chiefs call Wentz little Roethlisberger so the respect nationally the respect from the other team is so high and I, I just know from watching every freaking game that there is an offensive line epidemic right now, and I'm watching quarterbacks just taking a beating, and then I watch our quarterback, and he's literally keeping the team afloat against a much better team overall. Um, and I think, I think it's very – I think all of your criticisms are fair. I think it's 100% things he needs to work on. I just think it's tough when you have a guy that's literally the main reason you're in the game because it's not the running game and it's not ex- it's not incredible talent at wide receiver and it's not an offensive line and the defense began to crumble in the second half. He was the only reason that they were there. It's kind of like getting upset with a guy that steers out of out of like oncoming traffic and then kind of being like, you know, you, you kind of forgot to put the air freshener on. And I think that's the issue is he he did everything. And so he's under duress so that to be accurate. I but I do look at him and go, that like what you said, Kyle, that is the next step in his development. Is not those fuck ups. Because like for me and Russ, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. Um, I, I have two issues, two plays that I don't think people are gonna pay attention to that I think were huge. One was the Chiefs go up twenty to thirteen. And now is the comeback drive. It's first and 10. We know they're not going to run it. But you know who they have blocking Justin Houston one-on-one? Fucking Zach Ertz. That, to me, is bad coaching. Like It's like they went on the whiteboard. They said, you know what? Ertz can handle one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He gets sacked. It's second and 13. And now we're definitely not running it. But, like, those are plays that I pay attention to that's like, come on, coaches. Like, what were you thinking? The other play was when the Eagles are trying to stop them to get the ball back. This is the drive the Chiefs went up 27-13, and it's third and three. And, oh, no, no, it's it's the the long pass to Chris Conley down the sideline. Jalen Mills doesn't get a hand on Conley. 
after like he does he tries to jam him like five yards in and it slows him down and Conley gets the 40 yard pass that eventually led to the other cream hunt uh, touchdown Mills it's that that's going to be the scary thing about our defense Mills has to get a hand on that guy because if he doesn't complete that pass we're getting the ball back down a touchdown so two other plays but I agree I see your Carson Wentz criticism I just thought he was I really thought he was phenomenal just to keep them in the game yeah let me just say before people hate me real quick I I, yeah sorry I'll just we're gonna hate you anyway yeah, but I'm not like I am not bashing him by any stretch. Like I I totally agree that he he was and is a gamer and the fact that he uh, manages to avoid getting seriously concussed with that pocket collapse in the way it was and hang in there and sling the ball around and still make plays and incredibly there's a throw in the end zone to tie the game at the end of the game is is pretty remarkable. So I like all the credit in the world. Absolutely all the credit. I guess he's still, my point is, he is still very raw, and, and, and everyone is, is kind of quick to just anoint him, and I think he's going to be a really good one, but there's a lot, of, a lot of little things that need to be worked on and a lot of unforced errors, and I don't think you, you could just brush those aside because one of those unforced errors is what, is, is what turned the ball over late um, and, and arguably ultimately cost them the game and that's all i was trying to point out i like Wentz a lot and i'm it's so nice to have him compared to the dreck we've had here for the last eight years at quarterback but you know just you know he's not he's not like tom brady yet we have to remember that um that's all so i want to take a a real quick look by the way this kind of comes back to expectations like he's the second overall pick in his draft but like he he didn't play at a big university we knew going into this entire thing that, you know, like he might take a little bit longer to blossom as a player and it's okay. Again, it's like the sliding scale of expectations in the city. Like, I think the reason people get so upset is is because we've been sold this, this bill of goods that he is supposed to be this elite prospect because of where he was drafted and not where he was drafted from. And I think to some extent it's unfair to expect him to be a polished quarterback, which I don't think you are. Um, but at the same time, like, I don't think he deserves to have a, uh, 100% fair, you know, like carte blanche every game. Um, there are three guys that I wanted to, to just kind of touch on really quickly. One of them is not Nelson Aguilar, who I think anybody in their right mind did not expect to have a big game. I knew plenty of people who picked him up in fantasy this week, uh, in both the, the weekly, they're the daily leagues or whatever you call DraftKings, Um, and even in their, their fantasy lineups, uh. Brutal. That was a bad. That was a bad call. Sucker's um, call, right there. I want to just take a call. look, really quick, at three guys that I was disappointed in. Torrey Smith had the third most targets on the team at eight. Alshon had thirteen. Ertz had ten. Torrey had had eight. Torrey Smith only brought in four of those for receptions. Now I think he was third on the the team with like sixty six yards, but he he did drop. You, you mentioned already. He dropped that touchdown, or it would have been a touchdown. Um, the ball hits him in the hands. If you're a wide receiver in your, what, how, how far into his career is it? Seven years? Maybe longer? Like, Torrey Smith's been in the league for a long time. Mm. That ball hits you in the hands. Uh, this is a thing that kind of plagued him the last few years, I think, in, uh, in San Francisco as well, is the inability to, you know, have reliable hands at, at all points of the game. I was disappointed in that. Um, we know that LeGarrette Blunt was probably the number one talked about guy. Um, he has one reception, zero yards. Zero carries in the game, 
which again comes back to Doug's play calling, which I I really hope we're going to dig into. Yeah. He did have um, he did and, have one carry, which is called back by a hold, but even then, one is not enough. And so here we go into. I, I don't want to transition to that yet. I want to come back to him in a second. But Blunt having literally no impact on the game comes down to I guess either he's not doing anything in practice to make himself part of this game plan, or Doug really did have his head up his own rear. The other guy that I was disappointed in was Smallwood. Smallwood goes three carries for four yards. He had an eight-yard long, and then one reception from negative three yards. Now, a guy who out-touched Blunt in both the passing game and in the rushing game, the fact that that that's all he ends up with is mind-boggling to me. So again, with, with outlining these three guys, specifically Smallwood and Blunt, now I, I continue to question Doug Peterson in play calling, in the game plan. Uh, I don't get it, and I get that Smallwood is a guy that you have kind of hitched your wagon to for the last you know couple of years here, and he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But somebody please explain to me why he's out-touching the guy that you brought in that pretty much everybody thought was going to either be your lead back or was going to be maybe number two in a running back by committee. That's an issue that that I don't know how they fix it without trying to force it to blunt. And it's it's so many shades of DeMarco Murray right now that we have a coach who will not, under any circumstances, adapt his game plan to the strengths of his players. Um, I think this is the portion where we transition to Doug Peterson and his run and his his play calling and his run pass breakdown. Um, I, the thing with Blunt, Russ, and again, I'm, I'm not going to do my victory dance yet. I think I've said I would save it for either week three or early October. I have to go back and check the tape. But the thing with Blunt is I, I, I don't think they got him to be a feature back. And I think a lot of Eagles fans were expecting him to be that guy. And then it transitioned to, well, he's going to be a short down back. And, it tra- and I don't think people realize that that is not where Blunt has always excelled Uh, yes last year he put up a ton of goal line points for the Patriots last year but his his biggest strength was being a big guy out in space um I was never confident that Doug Peterson would use him correctly um I actually thought in week one he was fairly decent with a head of steam behind the line and picking up positive yardage the thing that really stood out to me yesterday though was when you go back and rewatch the game they were and just bear with me here. They were running the ball effectively when they ran it. The reason Smallwood is three three carries for four yards is because he had two where he ran right into the line and the line collapsed and they tried to run it right up the middle and there was nothing there. That happens, okay? You watch any NFL game, there are runs that go for anywhere between negative one and one yard. Like, it just happens. The reason you keep going back to the well is, A, you keep the defense honest, which opens up a lot more for you and more opportunities, and especially play-action passes to someone with speed like Torrey Smith or a premium receiver like Alshon Jeffrey. The Eagles don't do this. And you keep going back to the well because eventually, like Kareem Hunt, if you break through, you could have a huge gain. Um, yeah, really quick really quick before yeah. you keep going. Th- this was a point that was, I think, outlined post-game. If you, if you go back and look at it, this, I think, is where you get into the difference between Andy Reid and Andy Reid Light. Andy Reid's team, I think, had 11 rushes or so for, I think, around 40 yards in the first half. By no means blowing the you know the, the game apart with, with the run. But he did not give up on it. Counter to Doug, Andy, of all people, went back in the second half, and they had, I think it was uh, maybe like 15 rushes for 90-ish yards, two touchdowns. 
that I think speaks a little bit to the evolution of Andy as a coach and Doug's just absolute unwillingness to run the ball at all whatsoever and take what you, what you described, which is the fact that some plays are going to go right into the line and you're not going to have anything. I, but his his just blatant disregard for for offensive balance and an inability or lack of willingness to call a rush in the second half specifically is it the thing that like I think ultimately doomed them. No, right and now. and I agree with you. I think Andy Reid has evolved as a coach, and his play calling is among the best in the league right now, at least through two games. My point was the Eagles, other than I think there were two carries for Smallwood and one for Sproles that went for no gain. And that would make the Madden player in you say, I'm never rushing again. And that's exactly what Doug Peterson did. Their other runs were positive were positive yards. They were picking up six, seven, again, you're talking like six or seven rushes here, six, seven, eight yards. Sproles snapped off, I think, a 14-yarder. Twice, when they got out to the edge, the line, Jason Kelsey was at his absolute best, that entire line, pushing, sweeping up the left side of the field. They got a ton of push, a ton of momentum, and on their best drives of the game is when they were moving the ball effectively with one or two rushes early in the drive, and that opened up a lot later in the drive. There was another one. Um, they ran a couple of times effectively. This is during, I think, the one of the fourth quarter touchdowns, the, the second-to-last drive whenever they scored. Um, they ran the ball effectively. Then there was a little dump off to Sproles, which he took for over 10 yards. And like those sorts of plays were keeping the defense honest and it opened up the pass game. But that they just completely abandoned that. And that's the frustrating thing is that early on, those first few drives, go back and watch it. They had a couple of substantial, you know, chunk yardage gains of, of you know, six to 10 yards, call it. Not like blowing the doors in, but effectively moving the ball. And Doug completely abandoned it because there was there was three plays that went for no gain. That's the frustrating part. Yeah, I think my only thing is, my only counterpoint to that is they weren't running the ball, but Carson was having a lot of success on those mid throws. And I, like the Mac Hollins drive was great. And how about this, guys? It is actually Zach Ertz's breakout season. Like, I know we joked around about it for the last three or four years, but this is it. I mean, it's he, he this is his year. He's putting up crazy numbers. He looks fantastic. Uh, the one drop he had on, on one of the drives, I think, was more Wentz's fault than his fault. Um, and I, I think what's crazy, too, is I with how tired – the Eagles' defense seemed to be at the end of the game. I fully expected the Eagles to be outsnapped by the Chiefs, but the Eagles ran 72 offensive plays and the Chiefs ran 53. Um, so that was surprising. But there's a definite drop-off in the second unit of the Eagles' defense, and they need to be careful for that. Um, and I look at Carson, and I, I, I want to run the ball because I agree with Kyle in the drive where they score the touchdown uh, to make it 13-13, or to make it 10-6 uh, to 6 before the Chiefs went up. It was a great Sproles run sprinkled in there. There was a really good small wood burst that was in there. Uh, my only thing, yeah, my only thing, Russ, the, the counterpoint I would make to the small wood numbers is I, I typically don't put – running back numbers on the running back. I typically put them on the offensive line unless the running back does. Like, Smallwood typically doesn't get you anything more than he really, you think he's going to. But I wonder if they watch the film of Washington and they watch like Eric Blunt and they thought, you know what? Smallwood would hit those holes faster than Blunt 
because my analysis of Blunt in the week one game was he makes guys miss, but I also think there are some holes that he's not hitting fast enough. And the problem with Doug Peterson is he's young Andy Reid. So he's not going to tell you anything. He's not going to tell you that he thinks that Smallwood could hit the hole faster than Blunt, even though he should. He's going to go, that's on me. And the problem that I don't think Doug Peterson realizes is, sure, the team loves it and the, the coaching loves it. When Coaches love it when you put everything on you. But Andy Reid already had the benefit of the doubt. And Doug already does not have the benefit of the doubt. And if Doug keeps going out there and saying it's on me, he's going to get his ass fired really quick because we went through 10 years of it's on me. You know what I mean? And that's the problem is he needs to say that Smallwood hits the hole faster than Blunt and the Chiefs defense is a lot better than the Washington Redskins and that he needed a guy that was going to hit the hole. Now, the play calling, he needs to, he needs to just say, look, our best part of the offense was Carson Wentz and I wanted the ball in his hands every freaking time. Like, yeah. if you say that, then at least we have an idea. If you come out post game and go, I fucked up, well, then guess what we're going to say? Then you need to be fired. Because yeah, we don't, I mean, we do not have the benefit of the doubt for Doug Peterson. He lost that when he took the job. I've never seen a coach not have the benefit of the doubt quicker than Doug Peterson. So really quick, because I got to go. But the, I, I think after the game, I had a winner and a loser. Uh, let me start negative. So the loser, I think, afterwards was Doug. If if you are listening to this podcast and you did not listen. To Doug Peterson's post-game press conference, I want you to either pause this. Or I right need after to listen to it. To was it this bad? It was that bad. So I I want everybody to go back and listen to it because Doug, on multiple occasions, I wrote down some of his quotes. He was asked about um, their lack of offensive balance. Uh, he said that um, offensive balance definitely isn't the balance for success because he was asked, "Is this sustainable?" Because again, like statistically, yeah, they they ran forty six passes. But he legitimately called uh, 50 of them. It was 50 called pass plays to 13. That's almost 80-20 pass to run. I know that the game dictates certain calls in certain situations, but that is out of control. Uh, he also said that, uh, you know, the, the token got to fix the running game. Can't put yourself in third and long at Arrowhead. You don't want to be there. Then he also mentioned at least once in the early going that he would have liked a different play call. I need somebody to explain to me, then who's calling the plays? Because if you are the coach that is that is calling an offensive game plan that has led to you to, con to consistently get into third and long, and you don't like the play calls that have led up to it, then call different plays. Call better plays. Stop calling the, these godforsaken screen passes that have been getting you Jack Diddley squat. I feel like, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, it was like Chris Farley's character, fat guy in a little jacket where he just yells, Jack squat, in everybody's face. Like, that's how I want to, like, I want the media to yell at Doug. Fat, um, guy, so, in a, fat guy in a little coat. Yeah, Sorry. okay, in a little coat, okay. Um, Doug, Doug's answers in that post-game press conference were alarming to me. I want you to go back and listen to it. The winner afterwards, I think, was the Garrett Blunt, because Blunt was clearly pushed at his locker yes. by the media to, to try to get some kind of a fiery take, and he did not bite. Blunt is a guy who we know has had issues in the past, uh, off the field kind of stuff. There have been questions about, you know, him as a locker room guy. 
he did not jump on the opportunity to trash his coach or the other players. He was specifically asked about Darren Sproles having more touches, more being on the field more in this game. And his quote was, can't be mad when a future Hall of Famer is, is ahead of you on the uh, on the depth chart. Like, the, And I think that was a, a classy way to take it. He was asked about his comfortability with the role going forward, and he said, I can't predict the future, ask Doug. I think Blunt, if nothing else, uh, really kind of pulled a punch that I think it would have been fair for him to play in the situation. But Doug Peterson's answers were alarming to the max. I will be interested to see the fallout that happens today and in the coming days uh, leading up to Wednesday's pod. Um, I'll talk to you guys later. Much love. Good stuff. Uh, Hi, Russ. On his point about uh, Blunt handling himself well, I completely agree. The media... John Clark tweeted out a video almost the moment it happened, and it was mixed in with the media's very short Twitter snippets of his comments, particularly the one about Ask Doug about the play calling, which sounds way worse than it came across in context. And I don't think, seriously, I think the Eagles media is generally pretty good. I'm not sure I've seen the local media reach for a narrative um, more than they were yesterday surrounding LeGarrette Blunt at his locker. Like, he was getting peppered left and right, tr- and they were trying to get him to go off. They were trying so hard. It was like they were standing there just prodding him, and he handled himself really well. He was clearly a little bit frustrated, but he said everything he was supposed to say. He didn't roll his eyes. He wasn't disrespectful. He didn't give Marshawn Lynch, like, one-word answers. Like, he gave good, thoughtful answers. And he was frustrated because it was a tough game and they lost, but he said everything correctly, and yet still it was being spun, like, hey, ask Doug Peterson. And that was not, for me, the takeaway from Garrett Blunt's press scrum at all. So when people get— The most respectful thing you could say as a player is, honestly, I'm not going to comment on this. That's a question you should ask the coach. And that's what it was. And and it wasn't a a flippant response the way way I think they would have liked you to believe it was. And when I see players get pissed at the media— um, these are the things that do it because there was there was no there there, and the media was trying was still still able to find it somehow, uh, which I I thought was was pretty telling. So and then Russ just put into our comment section about Blunt's tw- like quote that turned into a tweet where he said, "Don't at me about your fantasy team," and uh, that's the only and I didn't realize this. That's the only part that I saw. But apparently it was a tweet in which someone called him the N-word and then he took the high road by saying, don't at me about your fantasy lineup. So um, context is so hard to get in this social media age, as we saw with Marcus Hayes last week. And it's really annoying when I just feel like Eagles players year after year, decade after decade, get introduced to our fan base by these little snippets and these little moments and by the whether it's the media or whatever it is and they leave here going man they're really insensitive it it really does annoy me a lot and i didn't realize i didn't realize that that's what blunt that's why he said that comment yesterday but you know social media we only can work at 140 characters or less yeah pretty much um yeah i, I don't know like i i just uh, mike can i Kyle, can it, so now that now that russ is gone um, I just have a Carson Wentz thing uh, 
that I want to ask you, and I know you don't want to focus on it because I know you're okay. look. I appreciate your your willingness to to be critical when everyone seems to be one way. I like that you zig when everyone else is zags, but um, I I genuinely believe this, Kyle. I believe that Carson Wentz is special, and I believe that he is going to be someone that leads this team possibly if the rest of the team gets there to a Super Bowl. Like, I really believe he's that good. And the thing that I'm having a hard time with is um, it's all on him, dude. Like, like, like watching these games, like the Washington game, it was all Carson. And I'm just not seeing him get any help right now. Like, he's having to, like, extend these plays, like, eight, nine yards. And I think that's why I'm so forgiving is not because I want him to succeed. Like, this is going to be really annoying to a lot of your listeners or to a lot of Crossing Broadcast listeners. And if you get offended by this, I'm sorry. I was rooting for the Chiefs yesterday to cover by six because... I went owing my fucking three on my bets yesterday and I picked the Chiefs as one of my locks. Like, I'm just going to be realistic. Like, I'm at a point with my career where I have to pick games and that my professional career is more important to me than the Eagles. Like, it is. Like, I'm just going to be really honest right now. And the whole time I was going, this kid is fucking incredible. Like, I'm watching every freaking game yesterday and I thought Carson Wentz had a top five quarterback performance. He was up there with Trevor Simeon. He was up there with Tom Brady. Like, he was more impressive than Drew Brees yesterday. He wasn't even close. He was more impressive than Dak. Like, Dak can't hold a candle to Carson Wentz. When I watched yesterday, like, Dak was under pressure too. But he he wasn't doing what Carson Wentz was doing. Carson Wentz is genuinely one of the one of the more exciting quarterbacks in the NFL right now and I'll say this if if your issue all offseason was predicting that LeGarrette Blunt wasn't going to be the guy then mine was predicting that for the last 2 years trading offensive linemen that were viable options for random 5 to 6th round draft picks which didn't did, do not fucking matter because Howie Roseman is not that good at the draft that's my issue that the Allen Barbers of the world that I know can play on this team are gone. That uh, the Dennis Kellys of the world that I know could play on this team are gone. And instead, we're not even dressing Chance Warmack and Wisniewski's not even getting in the game. So all these guys that were depth, how we wanted to get an extra draft pick to draft another Donnell Pumphrey. Like, that's where we are. Like, that's the shit that pisses me off. Because if the Eagles had a better offensive line with some more depth, he'd have some more time back there. That's my issue. Yeah, but no, look, look, look. I'm look. all in on Carson. I am too. I am too. And I don't want to. I, like, I'm, I'm now. And I'm, I'm not painting you like that. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that you the issues that you're seeing. I think it's because he's trying to make up for the fact that the play calling is average and the offensive line talent's not there. And so it's in the what like him against the world and it's forcing him into the throwing 50 something times situation. Yeah, and it scares me that that he's going to he's going to start if Doug Peterson sticks around for another season, which I'm sure 
will be in jeopardy depending on the outcome of this year. Um, it scares me if he's going to spend his first three years in the NFL with Doug Peterson as his head coach because I, I think that will stunt his his development for all the reasons you just explained. He is not given a lot of help. The play calling is piss poor. There is no flow. The run-pass breakdown is terrible. You have a GM who has now plucked away offensive line depth two years in a row because it's, a, it's an ostensible strength on paper and ignores the fact that you have a center who in Kelsey who is very mistake-prone Uh, You have a left tackle in Jason Peters who is aging and very injury prone, and you have a lot of holes elsewhere. And uh, that scares me as much for Wentz as anything, is the fact that he's he's not given, he does not have someone who places a premium on protecting him, which is kind of mind-boggling considering how much of the future he is and how much they gave up to get him. And the other part is, you know, the play calling is not good. All I was trying, and last thing on this, all I was trying to point out was that he is he is special. He has unbelievable physical abilities, uh, and a lot of times those abilities find something when there is nothing there. Um, the flip side, he's, he's just a very raw talent, and I think he's more raw at this moment than people give him credit for. And that rawness is great because sometimes it leads to incredible plays, um, you see this a lot. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, running quarterbacks in the NFL who have yeah. physical gifts that make incredible things happen. Um, but there's still a certain rawness there. And I, I think people are lo- willing to look past that with Wentz for whatever that reason is. And, and that's the only thing I'm trying to point out is that he's not, f- there's, there's younger quarterbacks who have been more polished, not as special, but more polished by this point. And I'll say this. I think the reason that I'm so positive, like I'll speak for someone in that camp, is um, watching Carson Wentz at 1 o'clock and then Jared Goff at 4 o'clock, it's not even freaking close. I agree. And and Jared Goff has Sean McVay, in my mind, a top five offensive coordinator. Um, Also, I watched Mariota. I think Wentz is better than Mariota right now. So my thing is... A year and two games in, and let's remember that his year last year started with limited reps in training camp because he didn't. We didn't think he was going to be the starter. Sam Bradford was going to be the starter. So I, I just think he's made an incredible growth. Some other positives because I think in Philly sometimes we inherently get negative. Mac Hollins is not a preseason uh, little little thing. He is an actual player. Uh, he did those plays exactly like Jordan Matthews would do. I watched the Bills game yesterday. Jordan Matthews was not existent. That offense, though, is just, it's bad. The Bills offense is bad. Um, I think that Alshon Jeffrey came to play, uh, which is great. Zach Ertz, like I said before, this is actually his breakout season. It's nice to put your franchise money in Fletcher Cox and have him repay you. Timmy Jernigan was fantastic. Brandon Graham is equal to Earl Thomas, which I know right now, currently not for career, but this season in terms of production, which is great. Uh, Chris Long has been a valued member of this team. Derek Barnett has been good. Uh, and he's been better than I thought he would be. And I even think that he's popping more on film than Jonathan Allen for Washington, who was my big concern. Props to Michael Kendricks for being an impact player. Jordan Hicks is a player. Um, my big concern now is this secondary. 
Uh, and you know what? I want to give props to Rasul Douglas, who on that slant play on third and short, uh, the Chiefs almost would have gone for 50 yards. He had a big swat there, and he had some other big plays where uh, I just I like the way he's out there and looking. Uh, this Monday night football game tonight, it'll be very interesting to see if Odell plays. Uh, he said earlier this week that it is a four to six or a six to eight week in, or a four to six week injury. The Eagles game next week would be week four. So if Odell doesn't play tonight, he might still not play next week. And if that's the case, I feel super confident. So if the Eagles in their first three weeks, let's say beat Washington and the Giants and then lose a close game in Kansas City, that's better than I thought they would be in the grand scheme. Uh, Because I just thought the schedule was going to be really hard. But overall, I know Seth Joyner wants me to not take any joy in losing. Um, I thought the Eagles played well, but it's clear where they need to improve. And that's play calling. So... um... It, two things here, because I, I think now I'm dismayed that we've spent so much time on the Wentz thing, and and we've no. Moved I on. think it's I, okay though. I do think it's okay because um, I think it's something that people are talking about. Yeah, I know. I, I just think it makes it it makes the observation more important. And I think that the bigger takeaway from this is uh, this was a winnable game. Like the Eagles, yes. for three plus quarters, they hung with the potential Super Bowl contender, and the defense. Yeah. To your point, and for all the reasons you just laid out. The defense was the dominant unit in that game, and the offense did enough to keep them in it. And I think it seems both units uh, ran out of steam late. You talked about the, the the backups coming in on defense, and that's when the Chiefs were able to gash us a little bit. For sure. There's absolutely something to that. I think the offensive line, uh, everyone on offense lost a little bit by the end there because they were, they were just they were running so many plays. Um but I want to read this. This is from uh, the person I will call uh, Little Birdie, who has, who's tipped me off to, among other things, the um, Alshon Jeffrey signing, the Wisniewski signing, and several other things this offseason. How, how good of a birdie is this? This is a good birdie. This is, this is a good birdie. This is, this is so four this hours is before that Alshon knows Jeffrey Eagle is stuff before yes. other people. Okay. Uh, in the building. In the building. We got a birdie in the building. So, There's a birdie in the building. And this has been my person for three and a half plus years. Uh, this is an email from Friday. I'm just going to excerpt here. And then I got one uh, uh, from yesterday. Um, is it Fridays was about No, Friday's was about Roseman. Following the Reed Banner era of the Eagles and Laurie no longer having any boots on the ground with the exception of Howie Roseman, what I mean by this is that many of the day-to-day operations from a football operations standpoint were unknown, not because they were purposely being hidden from Laurie by Chip, but because he believed that the operation uh, was running well. We all know how that backfired during, during Chip's tenure. Um, this was the reason Laurie opened up his checkbook to Howie when Chip took more control. Laurie needed Howie to stay to make sure Chip didn't sink the ship. This move by Laurie in year two of Chip's tenure was also also created a rather interesting dynamic that is still present in the team today. Uh, and basically, he goes on to explain how Ro- uh, Roseman remains the only guy who kind of keeps Laurie involved. And this was in response to the story last week from Tim McManus that Laurie feels the need to sit in on everything. And the reason why we see Howie is like the the golden can't-do-no-wrong child is because he's the only guy uh, for years now that has really kind of kept Laurie in the loop and is okay with keeping Laurie in the loop, the whole job preservation thing. 
Um, this is yesterday after the game. Make no mistake about it, Doug was not hired to be the long-term answer. This was known the day he walked in the building, and anyone in football ops who says otherwise is a liar. If Doug somehow managed to be lightning in a bottle, i.e. early Andy Reid era, then it would have been a win-win for us, but this was never expected and clearly isn't the case. Doug was and is continuing to prove that he's simply our stopgap at the coaching spot. Um, some of the internal frustrations, Doug isn't hard on the guys. He tries to be everyone's buddy and it's an issue. Simply put, he doesn't drop the hammer in the locker room. He's so focused on being a quote, player friendly coach that he actually is hurting his team and stunting development. This is in essence, a direct result of Chip's transgressions as Chip divided not only the locker room, but the entire facet of football operations. Laurie and Howie needed to fix the mess, so we hired a puppet and Doug that would help heal the wounds from Chip. Doug is a good man, but he's not worthy of being an NFL coach at this point in his career, if ever. Um, so again, uh, and make, there's make the of truth, that, and I agree make, with everything that that birdie said to you. Make of that what you will. Um, and I think that's you know the sort of thing we saw yesterday, where you have someone like makes Reed, historically pass heavy, um, who's able to you know stick with something he doesn't like in the run because it breaks out and then Doug Peterson just going full you know going full downfield passing for three three full quarters so what I take from that is Jeffrey Lurie I guess has the sense to realize that his organization has a lot of holes and to put a really good coach into that situation and spend a lot of money on a big name coach would be wasting him and they're kind of using Doug to kind of let it all settle and recreate like good streamlined process before bringing in a real coach. Is that the vibe that you got too? That, that's exactly what I made of it. Correct it. Correct the ship. Retake your team, which is are things that Lori had said, and and you know now let's see what you got. And you you have a quarterback who I'm guessing many a coach would be would love to work for, uh, would love to coach. Work wow. With. Thank you. Um, okay. So, okay. Uh, I'm thinking right now, one, I know you don't watch Game of Thrones, but Howie Roseman is Littlefinger. Uh, he is just the guy that comes up and says whatever he needs to say to stay alive and uh, manipulates and then goes back to the queen and tells her whatever he needs. she needs to hear. Uh, my question is, is I wonder if Howie is going to stay once this new coach gets there uh, or if Laurie is just using him right now to get information. Uh, but also when you're Laurie, you want to keep the guy that gives you information. And it does sound like uh, he's not going anywhere. Um, the initial email. Actually I'm just going to say this right now. Thing. Real quick. Oh, what was uh, it? Let me last paragraph. Let me make one thing clear. I don't know how long how we will be our GM, but Laurie has made it abundantly clear. He wants and needs to know more from a team operation standpoint and how he's the only guy doing that at the moment. It sounds like barring any kind of colossal fuck up, the Roseman will be the GM for the foreseeable future. All right. So I am a believer in silver linings and I am a believer in, uh, regressing to the mean. And, uh, what I do like is that, uh, Lurie tried to go all in with Chip and he realized how bad that was and he, he looks at people like Robert Kraft and Jerry Jones and he sees how important it is to be a huge part of the organization and not to be one of these Dean Spanos, L.A. Charger, uh, Stan Kroenke, L.A. Uh, Rams owners that just lets go whatever happens, happens. And I do think Lurie has common sense, and I do think he's good with people. 
And I, I think that it's actually good for the organization that he has this mindset now because that's the only way that you can grow is from the top down. Um, and I'm just going to say this in week two of the 2017 NFL season that if there's any way that we can match up Carson Wentz with Josh McDaniels, I think that is the best combination because I think he is the best offensive mind out there and if there's any way that we can get him into this organization, I think he would come for Carson Wentz, and that's the guy that I would want, is McDaniels and Wentz. I'm just going to put that out there now. Uh, I, I like your early season speculation. Yeah, why not? Especially after hearing that, what you said, and the amount of times your little birdie has been correct. Um, and then just also the feels, and then also... Like a writer for The Ringer put out an art, put out a video, and there was a controversy in the building. You know what I mean? Like that's how flimsy Doug Peterson is right now. Like the, it's just to me, it's just very clear that that's the current situation we're in. And and there's also one of those situations where there's enough uh, smoke there for for it to be. You know, like when people speculate and parse Lori's comments about him just doubling down on his praise of Howie, but then being lukewarm at best on, on Peterson. Like all, there's a lot of anecdotal things that all point to the same conclusion here. Um, so yeah, I don't think any of it is particularly surprising. Uh, one Man. other thing, this is from shield Capaldi, yeah, go for it. Uh, retweeted by Brandon Lee Galton. Um, just it's a little bit of a quote here, but he says, I think the front office has to shoulder the blame for the state of the run game. It's true that the current regime was not responsible for trading LaShawn McCoy. That's a valid point. It's also true that the Eagles had a lot of holes to fill, but this is more about process than results. The Eagles traded up to pick Donnell Pumphrey in the fourth round of this year's draft. He measured in a 5'8", 176, the combine. In the last 10 years, the most yards by a running back that size in an entire season was 120. Uh, Garrett Wolf. if the Eagles really thought he could help, then they were making a ridiculous and irresponsible gamble. And the same could be said to a lesser degree about LeGarrette Blunt signing. He is 30 years old and coming off career highs. Running back is a position where teams should be able to find adequate players without investing a lot of resources. I just want to point out that that is the same LeGarrette Blunt point that um, we were making earlier this summer and people were taking exception to. And now here we are in week two, and it's, uh, um, it's already pretty apparent that, again, while a cheap player like how we deciding that the blunt was the guy to like make this a respectable running back core, I think shows his um, inability to be an effective GM. Yeah. And I think uh, let's also remember that it's Howie and Joe Douglas. Okay. I don't want this Joe Douglas guy to like you know, take over. And everyone's like, Oh, those were Howie's picks. Joe Douglas was the one that stood up there and talked about Donald Pumphrey's grit and his determination and his toughness and how he was trying to bring that into this team. Um, so the, I think the reason that one frustrates me so much is the amount of late round running backs taken in this draft that the Eagles could have had but didn't take and that are having a ton of success right now. They're all over the league. Tariq Cohen, the guy we just faced yesterday, Kareem Hunt. Uh, there's there's a, Chris Carson uh, is a... Seventh round pick that had almost a hundred yards for the Seahawks last night, and if you don't have him on your fantasy team, you should go out and get him if he's available because he's a freak. 
Um, but there's tons. I mean, they're all over the NFL. And we took the one, we took the Tommy Chang of running backs. We took the we took the guy that put up the huge numbers in college with a lack of physical traits and said, well, this should work because numbers. And it's like, hey, that's not how this works. And the fact that you believe that is absolutely crazy. But And look, maybe um, Pumphrey, look, maybe he, he's quick enough that his career. I don't he, think so. I, right. I don't think so either. But he hasn't played and now he's hurt and that's going to severely hamper him. But I 100% agree with your point. Every year, it is infuriating, especially this year, to see a guy like Kareem Hunt. I know it's an easy narrative and all that stuff. But it's there are middle-round backs every single season who come out of, you know, not nowhere, but are, are not expected to be a featured back, and they turn out to be a top-10 running back in the league. It happens every single year. And, you know, that like for that reason alone is why I was upset at the blunt thing early in the off season because it was like this is not like this is not how you construct a team that is the player you go out and get if you have a missing like goal line back or you need a third running back depth it's not the guy you go out and get to like create to to build your ru- running core around i mean they have five running I backs and none sunday of them are night. good sproles is good but he's, he's watched, like a utility guy i watched sunday night football last night Devonte freeman was a third round running back Tevin Coleman was a fifth-round running back, and the Packers are starting a wide receiver <laughs> at running back and having more success. Yep. Yeah. No, 100% agree. Okay. I thought this was cathartic. Do you feel better? I do. Yeah, I do. I do. These I'm, are good I'm more for disapp- Monday mornings. <laughs> they are. They are. I'm more it's disappointed shit out. after watching. I'm, I was more disappointed watching the replay than the game itself because I felt good about the game because for – Three plus quarters. It was like, hey, the the Eagles could and potentially should win this, and even if they lose, um, you know, hey, it, it's a game you were supposed to lose. Watching like watching it back though was infuriating because it really was there for the taking, and there's you know there's some glaring things there. That's why NFL players and coaches, when they lose the Super Bowl, they have such a hard time rewatching it because in the moment you, there's there's real like real-time excuses and there's reasons why things are happening and then when you watch it on film and you watch you know Zach Ertz trying to block Justin Houston you just sit there and you go why the hell did I do that why the hell did we do that and it it just hits you because the eye in the sky doesn't lie and that's why watching film is so hard because you're like you know what I'm, you take each play as its own like little world, and you know the 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 emotions that you are feeling are no longer there. You don't have anything to explain it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I think this was good. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday. So hit Kyle uh, up on Twitter at Crossing Broad. Hit myself at Adam Lefko L E F K O E. Hit Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, and we'll be sure to hit it up. I'm sure we'll still be talking some Eagles midweek, and we'll try to get to uh, all the other sports in Philadelphia and be the good alternative to your morning drive. Hope you guys are great. Love you guys very much, and we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday.